the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. May His grace and His blessing be with us now and unto the age of all ages. Amen. Today, dear brothers and sisters, we celebrate the Holy and Divine Liturgy on the Sunday before the Great Fast. On this day, the Holy Church rings her bells throughout the entire world and calls all faithful to prepare for the holy season of the great fast, which begins tomorrow and ends, God willing, on April 15th with our celebration of the glorious feast of our Lord's resurrection. And God willing, this will be for us a 55-day period of fasting and prayer and mercy a journey through the wilderness of this world back to paradise through self-renunciation. And the best way for us to appreciate the great fast is to recognize that we, all of us, are not where we should be in our lives. We are all exiles and refugees in the sense that we have been displaced from our true home. Although the Lord God created and placed us in paradise with the intent of allowing us to live in his presence and to attain perfection and immortality through our union with him, the sad fact is that we succumbed to temptation and sin through the disobedience of our foreparents, Adam and Eve. And as a result, we are now displaced from our true home and we no longer live face to face with God in perfect communion with him. And every night, our mother, the Holy Church, reminds us of this fact in the arrangement of Psalm 136 in the midnight hour of the Agbeya, which begins with this lamentation. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yeah, we wept when we remembered Zion. In this psalm, the holy prophet King David speaks about how the people of Israel were taken captive by the Babylonians because of their sins. And on a spiritual level, this is a symbol of all of mankind, of all of us, because we lost our true home, paradise, and now we live in exile because of sin. But that home, that innate memory of being close to God still resides in us and in every human being. And today, on the eve of the great fast, we have an opportunity, not an obligation, but rather an opportunity to return home. We have an opportunity to live our lives in such a way that we will once again be near to God and live a paradisical life. When we look at our lives and the world around us, and especially all of the turmoil that we see around us, it becomes clear that this is not what God intended for us. We were not created for this kind of life. We are exiles living in a fallen world, but again today we have an opportunity to begin our journey, the journey of the great fast back to paradise and to be restored to our first estate. 
And for this reason, our Mother, the Holy Church, prepares us in this morning's Gospel passage from Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, with these words in which our Lord speaks about three distinct actions that will help us return to paradise. These three spiritual disciplines are, so to speak, the wings that will carry us up to God. They are almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Without these, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. They are foundational in the lives of every Christian. This is why in today's gospel, our Lord simply said, when you do a charitable deed, when you pray, when you fast. He did not say if, he said when, because these things are part of the nature of every single Christian. And in light of this, I propose, dear brothers and sisters, that we speak about each of these three spiritual disciplines in only three points. The first action that will enable us to return to paradise is almsgiving or acts of mercy. Although the English translation here is almsgiving, the Greek word in this passage is eleimosine, which comes from the Greek word eleos, and that literally means an act of mercy or a charitable giving. Our Lord does not accept our fast unless it is accompanied by acts of mercy. We see this very clearly in the Holy Scripture and especially in that beautiful description of fasting that is found in the book of Isaiah in which God declares, I have not chosen such a fast as this. Instead, loose every unjust fetter, undo the knot of violent transactions, send the broken ones forth in forgiveness and tear every unjust contract asunder. Break your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house. If you see someone naked, clothe him, and you will not despise anyone of the near kin of your descendants. In this passage, we see a clear relationship between fasting and acts of mercy to others. And so as part of our fast, we are called to relieve the sufferings and the burdens of all of those around us who are in any type of need. And the reason we do this, dear brothers and sisters, of course, is love. When Christians give freely to those in need, we do so as an expression of our love for God and also our love for those who are created in the image and according to the likeness of God. This is reflected beautifully in Proverbs chapter 14, which says, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who has mercy on the needy honors him. The more we offer acts of mercy to those in need, the more we honor God himself, because our action directed towards a human being in need is actually directed towards God himself because that human being is the icon of God. This is why our Savior teaches us in the Gospel that he is the beneficiary of every single act of mercy that we offer to others. He tells us, I was hungry, 
I was thirsty. I was naked. I was in prison. I was sick. And you had mercy on me. And then he goes on and he tells us at the end of Matthew 25 that whenever we do something good for the least of his brethren, we do it for the Lord himself. He identifies himself with the needy because they are all made in his image. And when we act in a merciful way towards them, we honor God himself. Moreover, dear ones, our acts of mercy not only honor God and help our brethren, but they also restore us to sanity. When we attend to the needs of others, something wonderful happens. We forget about ourselves. As we see all around us, self-absorption is a disease that is prevalent in our society. It's something that is ravaging our society. Everything we do is about ourselves and our choices. But the Christian life, however, is all about forgetting oneself being less concerned with oneself, having fewer thoughts about oneself. Acts of mercy are all about giving ourselves away to others through things like hospitality, volunteering, tutoring, encouraging others, cooking, cleaning, and any other thing we might do to support the weaknesses of others. I remember when Father Peter Farrington came to address our youth at the recent retreat, he reminded us of an important principle that we oftentimes forget. Any common task that we might do for someone else as a sacrifice to support them is an act of mercy that brings us closer to God. Thus, the husband who comes home and wants to relax and watch television, but who nonetheless forces himself to wash the dishes for the sake of his wife, has just grown closer to God because of that sacrifice, because of that act of mercy towards his wife. Anytime we are preoccupied with ourselves and our wants and desires, we are missing an opportunity to be with Christ because Christ is the perfection of what it means to be a human and He came to serve and not to be served. Our Savior Himself modeled this example in His life. You notice throughout the Gospel, we don't see Him preoccupied with Himself. He is always either praying to the Father for us, or He is healing us, or He is teaching us, or He is sacrificing Himself for us. But our Lord in the Gospel never said to the disciples, please go away, I need some me time. I need some alone time. But instead, St. Peter describes Him in his epistle as going about doing good wherever He went. And this is the model for every single Christian. Acts of mercy help us to return to paradise because they take us back to a time when we are not preoccupied with ourselves. Remember that Adam and Eve were commanded to care for creation and to be in the presence of God. There was nothing about their life in paradise that was self-absorbed. 
And certainly there's nothing about the kingdom of heaven that we hope to attain that is self-absorbed. Our preoccupation with ourselves is the result of sin. But through acts of mercy during this fast, dear brothers and sisters, we have a chance, we have an opportunity to go back to paradise and live a life that is not self-absorbed. The second action that will enable us to return to paradise is prayer. You know, dear brothers and sisters, all over the world, we observe that hardly anything lives by itself. Birds need air to fly. Fish need water to swim. Plants, in order to grow, need light from the sun. Think about that amazing reality. Plants need the sun to live. Even though the sun is more than 92 million miles away, nonetheless, plants need the light of the sun in order to live. And the message here, the point that I want to make, is that even in nature, every living thing needs to be in communion with something else in order to live. And it is the exact same with us. We human beings are not self-sufficient. We are not creators of energy, but instead we take energy and we transform it into other things. As we learn in physics, whatever power comes out of us is based on the power that goes into us. The great French scientist Alexei Carrel said, human beings seek to augment finite strength by tapping infinite reservoirs of power. And without realizing it, he described prayer. He described prayer because prayer is the finite reaching out to the infinite and deriving power from the infinite. This is what prayer is. We as human beings are made to be in communion with God. And once again, going back to Genesis, you remember that God made us in His image and according to His likeness. And that means that every single human being has a spark of divinity inside of him or her, a part of us that yearns to be with God. One of the most famous quotations from any of the church fathers is that oft-quoted passage from St. Augustine in which he prays to God and says, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. To fill that infinite space inside of us, that divine spark in every human being, we must be in communion with God. And to be in communion with God, we must pray. And prayer is our free choice to fill the infinite inside of us with God who himself fills all things. Our problem living, especially in modern society, is that we try to fill the infinite inside of us with finite, limited things. Inside of us there is room for an ocean of divinity, but instead we throw these worldly trinkets inside this vast chasm that will never fill the chasm, no matter what we do. That new car, that relationship, that new job, 
the higher salary, whatever it is we strive for in this world, we think that maybe this will fill that void inside of us, but then we realize that void is still there. The only thing that can fill the void, dear brothers and sisters, is our communion with God. And that communion with God comes through prayer. And at its most basic level, prayer involves just saying prayers, opening your prayer book, the Agbeya, and just saying the prayers, which is a good beginning. On a higher level, prayer involves having a discipline. For example, praying specific prayers every morning and every evening. On an even higher level, prayer involves remembering God throughout the day and never forgetting Him, doing what St. Paul characterizes as praying unceasingly. And on an even higher level, our fathers, the monks and the saints, they teach us that prayer can involve an experience of the divine, of the divine itself. Wherever you are in your prayer life, These coming 55 days are a time for you to work and to strive even more to grow in your prayer life, to be in communion with God. And there are so many things that you can do. But you know, our problem oftentimes is that we don't know where to begin. We think maybe I can open the Agbeya tomorrow morning and start to pray, and we do it for a few days or maybe a week, but then we fall and we crash and burn. Dear brothers and sisters, if you want to grow in your prayer life, go and speak to your spiritual father. Go speak to your father of confession and say to him, this is what I've been doing, this is where I've been struggling, give me a rule, give me a canon of prayer that I can follow, and then follow whatever he tells you. He won't put too much on you. He won't put more on you than what you can bear, but he will put on you exactly what you can do so that you can start to grow in your prayer life. This fast is an opportunity for us through our prayer to return to paradise. The third action and the final thing we will discuss today, the third action that will enable us to return to paradise is fasting. It may seem somewhat arbitrary for us to say that fasting, abstaining from certain foods, activities, and lifestyles is going to somehow help us return to paradise and be in the presence of God. It doesn't seem like it makes any sense. How can fasting enable us to return to paradise? Well, we remember that humankind essentially lost paradise because we broke a fast. We lost paradise because we broke a fast. In paradise, God told the first man, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And our Father among the saints, Saint Athanasius the Great, teaches us that God gave mankind the law of fasting for our benefit. If we had kept God's law and preserved our fast, we would have maintained our life in paradise without any sorrow or any pain or any care whatsoever. But because the first man disobeyed God, and transgressed his commandment to abstain from eating of the forbidden fruit, he expelled himself from paradise and lost the grace with which God had clothed him. 
he found his nature corrupted, and instead of living in paradise, he found himself living in a fallen world full of torment and sadness. Imagine, dear brothers and sisters, Adam and Eve, after they were exiled in paradise. Imagine them standing outside the gates of paradise, which were closed and guarded by the mighty cherubim with flaming swords, and they were looking inside the gates at everything they lost. Everything they lost because they did not keep God's commandment. Today, on the eve of the great fast, those gates of paradise can be opened to us once again by keeping God's commandments and by our fasting. In paradise, man ate only vegetables and fruits, but later in this fallen world, God allowed man to eat animal products. But when we fast, we go back to the way things used to be, when we ate simply and we focused instead on our communion with God. And this is especially clear in our Lord's own life. You remember after he was baptized by St. John the Baptist, he entered the wilderness and he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And during this time, the old deceiver and tempter Satan appeared. And being a slanderer and a liar, he began to tell our Lord all of these lies. And the first challenge he made to our Lord was essentially, aren't you hungry? You can turn these stones into bread. He was trying to tempt our Lord to break his fast. And that is exactly what he did with Adam and Eve much earlier. And that's what he continues to to tempt us with even today. His warfare hasn't changed from the beginning. But we have an opportunity through fasting to refuse his temptation and to overcome the desires and the urges of our flesh and fallen nature as usual. And in doing so, we return to paradise. We return to a state where we are not subject to our passions and our desires to the things that we want. When we return to paradise through fasting, we correct the imbalance in our nature. You know that every human being is made up of a body and a soul, but I ask you to be honest with yourselves. Think about your life. How much time do you spend on the cares of your body? Brushing your hair, getting dressed, etc., eating. How much time do you spend on your soul? Praying, attending the divine services, reading your scripture, acts of mercy to others. If you are honest with yourself, you will see there is a huge disparity between the time we focus on our bodies and the time we focus on our souls. But during this fast, we have an opportunity to go back into balance, to give our soul its due, to focus on our soul more than, than on our bodies. Because you know, dear brothers and sisters, to be in any kind of imbalance is to be sick. When you go to the doctor, one of the first things they oftentimes do is draw blood to take tests to see what cells are in a higher proportion than others, what elements in the body are out of, out of their balance. Because to be out of balance is to be sick. And all of us are spiritually sick because our focus on the soul and body is completely out of balance. 
but through fasting we have a chance to be restored to wellness, to be whole once again. As we begin this journey of fasting for these 55 days, I want to remind you of something very important. It's not going to be easy. The warfare against you is going to increase. There are going to be more problems in your life. Things are going to be harder. Because, of course, think about it. When the devil sees us fasting and trying to return to paradise and becoming closer to God, do you think he's going to leave us alone? Of course not. He'll fight you twice as hard. And you're going to find it's going to be difficult. And there are going to be many obstacles. For example, oftentimes there's the obstacle when we have temptations or tribulations during the fast. When our lives reach such a low point because of something that happened in our family or at school or at work that we think, I can't deal with this and also fast. I need something to comfort me. And so the devil tempts us to break our fast. Don't do it. Don't do it. Be strong in the midst of your tribulations and trust that through your fast, through your nearness with God, you will get through that tribulation. Sometimes we also fall into the temptation of making up our own rules of fasting. And this this is a big problem I see, especially in the modern day. We are not to make up our own rules of fasting because we don't know what's best for ourselves. Instead, we are to go to our father of confession or our spiritual father and open our heart and say, this is my life. This is what I feel I can do, what I can't do. Give me a rule of fasting and he will guide you and give you a rule that you can do. But don't make up your own rules. Sometimes I hear very strange things like, Well, I know the church started the fast for 55 days, but Jesus Christ only fasted 40 days, so I'm going to fast 40 days. And people come up with their own ideas of what they should do. Or some people say, well, I need to fast with dairy. I'm not saying, of course, that's impossible. Maybe that is possible in consultation with your father of confession, but don't give yourself that rule. Talk to him and let him give you the absolution, but don't give yourself that rule. It's not for you to make up your own rules because as the fathers remind us, there's nothing more sad than a person acting as their own spiritual advisor. That is not the way God set our spiritual lives up. God did not set things up so that we could be our own advisors, but instead he appointed apostles. The apostles ordained successors. The successors ordained bishops and presbyters. And we have our fathers, the monks. We have many who can guide us. Don't make up your own rules, but rather be guided by the church. Because remember, you are part of a community. Your fast is not something individual. Your fast is part of the larger community. And when the community fasts in a specific way for a specific time, you fast along with the community in that way and in that time. And if there has to be an exception, then it's done with you through your father of confession but don't make up your own rules. Another temptation that we oftentimes face during the fast is the temptation to treat the fast like a diet. For example, when we go and we scrutinize the labels, or we go, for example, to a restaurant, and especially now in in the modern day, we find oftentimes the vegan food is much better than the non-vegan food. And so we kind of play this trick on ourselves where we eat very comfortably, 
We eat very luxuriously, but things are technically vegan. You cannot fast on technicalities. If it's something that you like and something that you're drawn to, something that you're going to get comfort from, then it's probably something you should fast from, even if it's vegan. The test of whether something is fasting or not is not simply the label. The test is whether you want it and how attached you are to it. It is possible for you to have your favorite drink at Starbucks and be used to every time you see a certain drive-thru, going through that drive-thru and getting your drink before work. That is something that you're drawn to, right? And it could be something that has power over you where you feel like you can't say no. Well, even if that drink is technically vegan, it's probably a good idea for you to avoid it because it's something that has power over you. That's what the fast is about. It's not a diet. We're not following a certain kind of diet, but rather we are following a spiritual program to help us overcome the things that really command our attention. That's what the fast is all about. And of course, that reminds us that the fast is not only about food. There are a lot of other things that we can fast from. Maybe a lot of us are addicted to watching television or we're addicted to having our faces in front of some kind of screen, playing video games, watching movies, whatever it may be. Maybe it's text messages from our friends. You know, sometimes we can send hundreds of messages in a day. Whatever is consuming our time and our energy and our thoughts, whatever is getting in the way of our relationship with God, that's what we fast from. That's what we fast from. And again, in consultation with your spiritual father, you can develop a program that will help you overcome all of the things that basically command your attention throughout the year. are at the gate of the 55-day fast. It's a blessed time. I hope all of you feel today as though it's Christmas Eve because today is really a wonderful day and the coming 55 days are really a blessed period in our year. And I hope all of you benefit from this time. I hope that you won't run away from the fast. I hope that you'll all do your best to grow spiritually, to return to paradise. And I want to remind you for all of you who are here, who don't have a father of confession, who don't have a spiritual father, our diocese is blessed with many wonderful fathers. And if you can't find any of them, you can always come to me. I'm always here for you because of course, that's why we're here. We're here to serve you. So don't go through this alone. Find a spiritual father or come speak with me and God willing, we can help you through it so that by the end of these 55 days, we will be completely different than we are today. To our God be all glory, to the All-Holy Father, to the All-Holy Son, to the All-Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.